Hey, good people. This is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I am starting off with the word schema or schemas. And actually, today I do have a list in front of me um, for me. Um, I When I get up in the morning... I um, am moving about and my brain starts downloading all of the things I processed when I was sleeping. And sometimes the list can just be one or two things and I'm focused on that. And then sometimes it can be a significant download and I can have up to 23 things that I'm writing down. Um, But today I just have four things on the list and I'm not going to, I'm not interested in this recording to talk about all four But there are two things on this list that I believe connect with the word or the concept of a schema. And so one thing is about faith, and the other thing is about the path of least resistance. Um, And there's probably other ways I can describe those two things. But the short, this is what I have on the paper, and and when I unpack it, I can figure out if there's some better words. But what I have on, on, on my paper right now, number one is faith, and number three is the path of least resistance. And as I begin to look up some information for the path of recent, path of least resistance, because uh, this is something that connects to learning sciences, to the learning science, or learning sciences, how we learn, how we take in information, how we grow. I knew that I have, um, I have consumed some information in terms of years of studying, um, that relate to the path of least resistance, how the brain processes new information and how we do, how, um, stereotypes form. I talked about that in yesterday's reflection. Um, and so I just was curious about it. I was like, I wonder if I can go to it, you know. Like, I wonder if I can find the right book in my house, if I can go to the right page. And I'm, I'm, I really believe that I've learned this in multiple texts. But I happened to pick the first book I picked up. I went to the right page, and it gave me really, really what I needed. And it's in a section on schemas. Um, but as I begin to read it, it took me to my thinking on faith. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting intersection. How schemas as a, as a concept within learning sciences can connect to this idea of faith. And, um, um, yeah, I don't, I want to say faith as this irrational concept, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to completely say that. So we'll see. So those are, that's, that's how I'm starting my reflection. Two things on my list, faith and the path of least resistance are somehow connecting to this, within this idea of a schema. And I want to start there. So on the other side of my disclaimers, I'm going to read the text. I got about two paragraphs to read to you. And then um, I'm going to move into a reflection. Okay. And we'll see where I end. But I'm starting off with schemas. (laughs) Okay. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. 
I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs MBTI or the Enneagram or and the Enneagram, not or, but and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist and have been doing my work for about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. I politically connected tenants located within critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs such as race, class, sex, race, class, gender, sexuality, and many, many more constructs that have created for us to survive as social beings with other social beings. This project is unedited and it's unscripted. If you want to know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. All right, you guys, I'm going to do some reading from a text called Social Psychology. All right. And this is a section under, um, I'm going to read this section heading. Uh, I'm reading text under a section called, that's named or titled, Assimilating New Information into a Schema. Assimilating New Information into a Schema. Schemas have some disadvantages because people tend to accept information that fits their schemas and reject information that doesn't fit. This reduces uncertainty and ambiguity, but it also increases errors. Early in the formation of a schema of persons, groups, or events, we are more likely to pay attention to information that is inconsistent with our initial conceptions because we do not have much information. Anything that doesn't fit the schema surprises us and makes us take notice. However, once the schema is well-formed, we tend to remember information that is consistent with that schema. Remembering schema-consistent evidence is another example of the cognitive miser at work. Humans prefer the least effortful method of processing and assimilating information. It helps makes a clump, it helps make a complex world simpler. If new information continually and strongly suggests that a schema is wrong, the perceiver will change it. Much of the time, we are uncomfortable with schema inconsistent information. Often, we reinterpret the information to fit with our schema. But sometimes, we change the schema because we see that it is wrong. Oh my goodness, there's so much in that. Those two paragraphs, I just read two paragraphs to you. There's so much in that. And part of me would like to go through that, uh, those paragraphs and take, go line by line and take a sentence and unpack it and then take another sentence and unpack that. But I don't really feel that I have I could do that, especially since I'm, un, I'm, I'm, I'm without a script. I don't have any notes. I don't have an outline. And I really should start saying I'm un, without an outline because I've heard some other content generators on YouTube saying, I don't have a script. Yep, they don't have a script, but they have an outline. 
they know what they're going to say. That's completely different than what I do in this project. I'll have an idea. I'll hit the record button and I'll just start moving about as my mind opens, as I, I'm doing contemplation. That's all. And I'm com- contemplating out loud and there is no particular direction. Um, yeah. So anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to fall into a rabbit hole there. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit. I want to start off with number three um, on my list, the path of least resistance. And then I'm, as I move about, I'm going to try to loop in number one and I'm going to try to loop in the text. We'll see how this goes. All right. Um, okay. Let's see what happens. And I know, do I sound like I just contradicted myself? Because I'm telling you the, the, the way I'd like to move about, but that's not what I had in my mind when I hit the record button. My thinking is forming as I talk. So direction is happening. I'm an INTJ, you guys. All right. So I'm going to put order to things, but I didn't have that order when I hit the record button. All right. Moving, moving on. (laughs) So, um, so today is Sunday and, um, I did a reflection with you all yesterday. And I named it the overlap. And in that reflection, I was really um, thinking through what does it mean to thrive um, as an INTJ woman. But I couldn't, I could not unpack that without also factoring in race. Now, if I had to, to do a writing, if I did that as an essay, I would not just bring in race. I would bring in some of my other identities about being an eight, a type eight in Enneagram, about, you know, coming from my my familial experiences with trauma and, um, and, and poverty. Um, I would bring in, um, my age being that I'm now 51 years old. Um, so I think that when we are looking at thriving, there are a number of things that we should consider, but because I was um, responding or I had been inspired by some, um, I, it was YouTube, but I'm pretty sure it really came from their podcast, uh, from the husband and wife team that I referenced um, on occasion. Um, they had done, um, uh, they had done uh, some, given some advice to someone who wanted to know how, how do you move about in the world, in your career and in romance? You have a rare personality type. And so I took that content to start talking out loud of what does it mean to thrive as an INTJ black woman. And um, I had a few places in that reflection where I kind of fell into some rabbit holes. That's just what this project allows um, for. And so... But but one of the things that um, is is significant from that reflection to today is the idea that I'm at a place in my life that to for me to go to the next level, I've got to look at the sum total of my life. For me to move to my next level, I'm going to have to look at my life as a sum total. And oftentimes I have like, I have pursued progress. I have, 
have had a plan for a component of my life. So where I was focusing on my education, I'm going to get this degree. Now I'm going to get this job. I'm going to go back and get another degree. Now I'm going to go and get this job. <laughs> and then my last degree wasn't was not about a job at all. However, this is something that I'm can really, really starting to understand. I, I, I became a PhD holder in 2014. So we're at eight years. I cannot believe it's been eight years. I just don't believe it. Whoa. <laughs> so we're at eight years. And as much as I have said my PhD was not for a job, which it wasn't, I'm really, really starting to contend with the fact that I might have to really um, think differently about that. That while I didn't get the PhD for the job, the PhD now gets in the way of me working. It really, really does. So while I didn't get a PhD for the job, I I have just such a disconnect from the P. I don't. I truly only connect that PhD when I'm doing. I don't even connect it. So at work, they do call me my handle. I do carry the the doctor as a handle. Doctor Yura and I Dom. That's you know that's not my name, but you know Doctor Sally. <laughs> um, but that is really it. I actually forget that I'm a PhD holder until I have to formally introduce myself. Now, I know that as I'm writing, this is when I become most conscious of my PhD, when I'm writing. And yeah, when I'm writing and I'm def- work and I'm pulling on my theory, the theory that I've started developing around power. Now, that theory did not initially form when I was doing my research. The form that my theory around power formed. Oh boy. Almost 10 years before I did the PhD. However, the PhD allowed me to do some research in which I expounded on the, on my theory. I went in there and I, I validated it, if you will. Not, that's when you start, when you start saying validation and research, I don't want to confuse it. I'm not, I didn't validate the theory through a scientific means. I validated it for myself. Um, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm getting falling into a rabbit hole thinking about the concept of validation and I don't, I don't want to do that. Okay. Let me get focused here because I don't want to, I feel like I'm trying to go somewhere. So anyway. The only time I'm really thinking about that PhD is when I'm working, when I'm writing, particularly when I'm writing about power. Okay. Otherwise I'm pretty disconnected from it. However, I'm consciously disconnected from it, but I think other people are more connected to it because most people don't have the knowledge around power that I have. So that's fine. So they start contending with me. We start trying to negate, or they try to negate power, or try to negate my understanding, which is fine. That's kind of what we do in a conversation. When I hear new information that doesn't fit with what I understand, we reject it. Isn't that what the text just said? Let's go back to the text. 
Much of the time, we are uncomfortable with schema inconsistent information. So when I start talking about power to people, it is inconsistent with the schemas that they have about power. And in that inconsistency is a discomfort. And that discomfort is a reaction, right? So whether they are a feeler or a thinker, they start coming at me. <laughs> They start coming at me, right? Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time. And when they come at me, whether they're coming at me through their feelings or with their thinking, right? Or both, I respond and then I can go and I can respond pretty robustly because, I mean, that's the, that is the, that is the advantage of studying this one little thing for a long time and studying it intensely. Okay. So, um, why am I saying that? So this knowledge that I have around power, um, and it shows up across the spectrum of my life because that's what power is. I tell people all the time, power is like gravity. It is all around us, right? Social power is all around us. It is like gravity. Um, so it can show up. It can show up in conversations and in interpersonal relationships all the time. And so... It becomes a liability for me if I, it is, it is a liability for me if I take on work that does not allow me to be, to have the relationship with my research that I have. So in my current job, it has happened time and time again where people tried to, they tried to negate my knowledge on a thing that I've, so there might be this event that seems unrelated to power and I take that event and I connect it to, I connect it to power. And I don't even think that they fully have that, but like, so one thing is an instruction, right? I know instruction really, really well. And I now also understand instruction as it relates to power. So I know instruction through the realm of uh, learning sciences. And then I also learn, know it as it relates to the social sciences in terms of power. And people who who use knowledge and who use knowing as a form of power to get you to submit cannot get me to submit. Because they're knowing on instruction and they're knowing on power It's Unfortunately, it is not superior to my knowing on it. And it sounds, it feels a little gross to say that, right? It is what it is though, right? That's just what I've invested my, my career in my, my adult life into studying those two things and leadership, right? Instruction, leadership and power. I would say those are the three things I know substantially. Um, it's interesting when I'm brought on to talk about race. Because I'm actually not an expert in race. I know more about race um, as a construct than I know about gender. I actually want to go and get a um, what's called a certificate. I want to do gender studies. Um, but the only reason most programs for gender studies are also connected to women's studies. I'm not interested in studying women. But I am interested in studying the construct of gender. So anyway, but there's a certificate and certificates are like, um, it's like a 18 month, 18 month, uh, maybe, maybe 12 month, uh, 
program. So you already have a degree. I don't need a degree. I don't need any more degrees, but I really would like to study one thing. And so I can go back and get a certificate. So I really am interested in getting a certificate in gender studies. I'm also interested in getting a a certificate in African-American studies because I don't know it as an, as terms of as an academic. I know, you know what I mean? I know it as being an African-American and doing my own independent study, but I've never outside of what I did for my dissertation. And I did do some studying around um, race and the African-American experience, but I don't have a degree in it. So, but I know what I'm saying is I can come to the table and I can talk about race and African-American and the African-American experience. I can talk a little, I can talk about class. I can talk about gender from this realm of being a social scientist, right? But I can, I know as an expert, I am an expert when it comes to instruction, leadership, and power. Those are my three areas of expertise, okay? And I'm in an industry where there's a hierarchy, and the higher up you go in that industry, the more you're supposed to know. And the lower you are in the hierarchy, the less you're supposed to know. And that becomes a conflict for me because I'm at in the, I'm not at the bottom, but I'm in the lower tiers of that hierarchy. So a debate that I had with my friend the other day, because she thinks that I would be better off just going back into the classroom, being a a teacher. And I love kids and I love teaching. Well, one problem is that there are three problems with that. Number one, um, I don't want to be stuck in a classroom all day. You can put me in a classroom for a half a day, but I don't want to be stuck in a classroom all day. So just spiritually, my body and me needing to have more movement during my day, uh, that's just not good for me. That's number one. Um, But number two, I believe that I'm supposed to impact more kids, more children, more students than I'm able to do if I'm in a single classroom, right? So I just believe that my knowledge isn't, it's, it's, I'm not, I just, I'm obligated to, to share my knowledge, um, with more students than, um, just a few of them. And then number three, it doesn't make, the classroom doesn't make room for my training in leadership, right? So there are three reasons why when I sometimes think about, man, I should just go back to the classroom and I might, I might have to go back to the classroom because of some larger considerations, but as a single strategy, I don't think it is the most um, effective or the most wise. It's not the wise. It's the wisest. Is that? Can I say that? Anyway, I'll, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> so my area of expertise is not the English language, okay? <laughs> so anyway, anyway, so yesterday, so I'm in this place where I'm like thinking about a better life, right? Um, a, a, a better life and... Um, and up until recent, I pursued progression as a single event, degree, uh, education, career. I went through a period where I focused on relationship, right? Now I've had two long-term relationships, but the second one is where I made this intentional choice. I'm going to do a relationship. And in many ways, I was treating that 
relationship as the fulcrum. I want to say, can I say fulcrum? I don't know if I should say that. So I'm going to park that. I'm going to go and look that word up. But as the lens in which I was going to channel all of my, I assumed if I focus on this relationship, then these other pieces would fall together. But then on another hand, I remember my ex would ask me, you know, my ex wanted me to make some decisions for the relationship that would have compromised some of the other areas in my life that were important. And I said no. And But even though I said no, I still wasn't prioritizing those other areas. I was kind of in this lukewarm space, this lukewarm. I wasn't really fully, I guess, all into either. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to say that either. I don't know if that's true. I really gave my all for that. I did. I really gave that relationship all that I had to give it. Let me put it that way. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, I'm going to pause for a second because it just occurred to me. I'm like, huh, what if my ex has a way has found a way to this podcast. There is, and I was in my brain thinking, is there a way that my ex would be able to know about this podcast? And there, there was, there's a small window of a possibility of how I was sharing this podcast initially early on in the, in the project. So if you don't have anything else to do, but listen to me talk on a podcast and it's on you, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not worrying about that. Um, so anyway, getting back to, um, so I just think that I've just been wondering, I, I just, not, I'm not wondering. I, I really believe that, um, that I'm, that the kind of where I want to move into my life really is going to require a more integrated approach and decisions that I make now have to be some total decisions. Some total. I'm so not on that schema part of this reflection. I have fallen into a crazy rabbit hole. I'm going to try to salvage this. Let's see. But I need to make some total decisions. So when I make a decision about X, it also has to benefit Y and Z. When I make a decision for Y, it has to benefit X and Z. And when I make a decision for Z, it has to benefit X and Y. And I, I've not always done that. I make a decision for X because that's what I need to do for X. And I make the assumption that Y and Z will be okay. And I'm thinking that I'm at a place in my life I that I don't have, oh, here's a word, Here's a concept. Residual benefits. That's so good. I'm at a place in my life that when I make decisions about X, if I don't make those decisions, keeping Y and Z in mind, the the residue of that decision becomes a liability for the other domains of my life. Now I'm trying to figure out 
a metaphor that would explain why, or I'm even trying to explain metaphysically or physically or meta, I don't know, metaphysically or physically how that works. Why now? Why when I made a decision when I was younger, I made a decision on X, X was in its own little self-contained bubble. Y was in its own little self-contained bubble. And Z was in its own little self-contained bubble. And I can make decisions about X, Y, and Z, and they didn't necessarily spill over to one another in a negative way. What did I say? Residual benefits? Did I say that? Residual benefits. But now when I'm making those decisions, I don't have residual benefits. I have residual liability. There's a reason for that. I don't know. And does it have something to do with um, growth? And I don't know why I'm looking at a tree. So I'm going to try to play with this idea. When you grow, you have more terrain. You see more and you have a greater impact. That's why I can say that I no longer can impact just a classroom. My growth dictates that I have a larger terrain for impact. Yet, because I've made isolated, I've made X-based decisions and not some total-based decisions, as I'm contending with Y and Z in my life, oh, this is good, you guys. I'm not, I don't, this is good. I might have to do a part two on that, um, on the schema part because I'm, I'm, I'm in something for me. When in the past I have made Y and Z based decisions, I said, okay, I'll go back to the classroom because X will allow me to do Y and Z. So I was really trying to consider multiple factors in my life, but I was really, that still was not a sum total decision. It was not a sum total decision. It was not integrated because what was happening was that I was prioritizing Y and Z. I was prioritizing Y and Z and deprioritizing X. I hope you guys are working with me in this abstract construction, X, Y, and Z. I was prioritizing Y and Z, and really I was prioritizing Z, and I was seeing some benefits of um, trying to loop in Y. And then Z was like, no, it's not a big deal. I don't care. I'm, I need, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back into the classroom. All I need is this amount of money. I need this much money and I need this schedule and that's going to impact me for Y and Z. But my growth as an educator extends beyond the real work of a teacher in that industry because how that industry has constructed this hierarchy and how they engage with teachers. So I'm, so it was idealistic for me to say, oh, I can go and teach because I love kids. I love instruction and I do like, I love some features of the classroom. 
But what I didn't contend with was the industry and the industry's relationship to teachers. And I'm so not there anymore. And I wasn't there when I was there, if you know what I mean. As an INTJ8, I never was just um, a subject of the industry. In my naivete, my innocence, I became the subject. But I never was a willful subject of the industry. Like, whatever you like, you tell me what to do. I'm going to, you give me the direction and I'm going to follow it. No, I always did my own thing. And when I didn't do my own thing, I didn't have the knowledge of something. And so in areas that I was missing knowledge, then I followed the flow of the the industry. Okay. So anyway, I think I flushed that out. So anyway, this, this idea of the sum total and making sum total decisions, I've never practiced that. I've never practiced it. I'm sitting here thinking about points in my life where I've done some really important things and I'm really proud of those things that I've done. I didn't do those things with a sum total mentality. I did not. I was, I did the big things in my life by sacrificing other areas of my life. All of this is connecting. And I think about the question my ex asked me about making decisions that would exclusively benefit the relationship. And I mean being unwilling to let go of my business domain was still not a sum total decision. So what ended up happening is that I was lukewarm, not able to give that relationship everything it needed, supposedly, which, by the way, you guys, I stumbled on a book. (laughs) I stumbled on a book last weekend. I want to come back and share that book with you. It's about um, being in a relationship with an abuser and before the abuse begins, like telling you what are the signs to look for before the abuse begins. Oh my goodness. And, and it, and I think I'm excited by the book because I didn't expect it to be significant. So I was like, nah, let me, I know all of this already now. I know this, but let me see what this man, it was a male psychologist. Let me see what he wrote. And then I tried to download the book. I couldn't, I could I thought it was gone. And then something popped up on my phone yesterday saying, you have a download. Maybe it took a week to download. And I started reading it and I've, I've, I got lost in it. Because what I know, it was just power. It was just a good read. And I'll have to come back and share more of that with you. And I'm not, and, and one of the things he says in the book is that, Stop looking at abusers as monsters. This is the problem that gets us in trouble. 
when we think abusers are monsters. So then we're looking for a monster. And then when we fall in love with somebody who's not a monster, who's a, who is an abuser, we're confused. Like, well, they're not a monster. I don't get it. So then we try to fix the person or we try to say something is wrong with us because the person is, we only align abuse with these, a monster type character or a villain. And man, that is so good. So I, I, I feel a little guilty about talking about abuse side by side with talking about my ex. Um, because at times I think we were abusive to each other because that was a relationship that we didn't need to be in. So that's how I, in my mature mind, I try to make sense of that. However, <laughs> the signs before the abuse happens, like in that from the textbook, I was like, yep, yep, check, 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 right? So I'd love to come back and share that with uh, those of you so that you you will have access to that knowledge and that wisdom so that you too will know the signs of an abusive situation. So we won't call it an abusive person, but an abusive relationship, right? Okay, moving on. So I didn't, com- I gave, I think because of the nature of, of that relationship, I wasn't able to um, give that relationship everything it wanted. And I'm, and I was certainly, I'm not regretting that, but I gave it all that I had to give. And I'm proud of that. Um, but I didn't give my business all that it had that I could give it either. Um, I gave it the best that I could in the situation that I was in, but I didn't give it my all. I did not make a sum total decision. I did not make a sum total decision in that time of my life, although I was making decisions that had a residual impact on other areas of my life. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to end it here and I am going to come back. I'm so sorry to, um, there's no way that I'm going to be able to talk about the schema idea, um, without going over an hour and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to start closing here. And we're going to do this as a part two, okay? Um, my younger sister, my youngest sister, um, my half-sister, my single sister, uh, the one that is my sister by way of our father, and that's different from my baby sister, <laughs> um, who's older than my younger sister, my youngest sister, but we share uh, both a mom and a a dad, and she was the baby of that union. And so um, it's interesting because she's now become the middle child, and she's finding this, she's kind of finding some joy in that. And I, I don't know if that if I want her to fight to be the baby, I'm just like, <laughs> that changes my schema. <laughs> That's not, I grew up with her being the baby, my baby sister or my sister, right? But what she's been, what I understand is she's been doing my younger sister. She's trying to really get my younger sister to understand and accept that I'm the oldest. But it didn't occur to me until just a second ago that my middle, my, my sister has been trying to get me to understand our youngest sister as the baby. 
And like, those are two schemas that she has been trying to negotiate with us, trying to get my youngest sister to embrace me as the oldest and trying to get me to embrace my youngest sister as the baby. And all that comes with being the baby. All that comes with being the oldest. When you think about schemas, I'm glad I'm making a connection, even though this is not part of the sum total conversation. Anything that doesn't fit the schema surprises us and make us take notice. However, once the schema is well formed, we tend to remember information that is consistent with that schema. I am only comfortable with my the schema that I know as my sister, my double sister. She's the youngest because that's a schema that I've lived with for years, for years, for decades, for decades. So while my sister is really trying to embrace a shift in the schema, there are three girls. My half sister is the baby. She's no longer the baby. My half sister is the baby. I have not yet adjusted. <laughs> I'm not, I'll be honest with you. As my youngest half sister has not adjusted to me being the oldest. She hasn't embraced that schema. If new information continually and strongly suggests that a schema is wrong, the perceiver will change it. And we will only change our schemas, our schematic map of our sibling relationship when we are finally confronted with being wrong. <laughs> and I'm not there yet. <laughs> so anyway, but <laughs> I'm laughing because I know I need to get there. I know that I need to do better. I know, I know, I know I'm going to, and I'm going to work on it. I'm going to try. <sighs> but anyway, I bring her up and um, my youngest sister, my half sister, the baby, because she called me about a month ago. I would say about a month ago in the middle of the night. It was 2.30 in the morning, actually. And I happened to be up because, not because I was up late. Because she was like, will you stay up late? Nope. Nope. No, you don't have that right. I don't stay up late. I get up early in the mornings uh, and to, to write or to work on some business stuff. So I um, I was up writing. And so when I saw that her name came my phone was ringing and her name came up. I was like, what's wrong? And so she was like, why did something be wrong? Because you're calling me at 2.30 in the morning. But anyway, one of the things that she talked about is that um, she was really struggling with relationship. And her thing is, you know, anytime she gets into a relationship, a romantic relationship, her, her business life, her entrepreneurial life, my youngest sister has her own entrepreneurial pursuits. Her entrepreneurial life suffers. Her, you know, her, her entrepreneurial life suffers. I think she would even say her spiritual life um, suffers as it relates to just the sum total of her because the relationship takes that energy. But she wants to be in a relationship. And so she called me at 2.30 in the morning. I don't know why you would, anybody would call me about relationship advice. I mean, really. <laughs> but she called me at 2.30 in the morning to kind of help 
to wanting to unpack that. Now, how she entered into that conversation was offensive to me, but fine. Um, she entered into that conversation by saying, don't you want to be in a relationship? Do you want to die alone the way our aunt just passed, our aunt that just passed away? So that's how she started that conversation off, <laughs> which, which was, which was, excuse me, shitty. Okay. <laughs> but, and I was like, why? Let's get to the point. You know, don't you want to be in a relationship? I'm like, what? what is it that you are ultimately asking about? You can't clearly need to know my business. What does my business have to do with you? I had to say that to her about three or four times before she got to the heart of what she was asking. And maybe she did want to know about my business. But what she ended up saying was she's just struggling with having both. That when she pursues one, the other thing suffers. And um, and I told her, and this is where I'm closing, because I'm going to say to you what I told her. And ultimately, I'm going to say it to myself. I said, you have to find a relationship that is about your entrepreneurial pursuits. And not that you and your partner would have to be in business together, but you need to be with someone who's also pursuing some type of entrepreneurship. Somebody who also has a hustle. So the heart of the thing that motivates your relationship is your hustle. And so when you're hustling, your partner is inspired. When your partner is hustling, you're inspired. So that that relationship feeds off of the hustle, off of the entrepreneurship. And the entrepreneurship feeds off of the relationship. That's what I told her. That's a sum total decision. I didn't say sum total. I did not say to her sum total. But as I'm talking to you guys and I'm using that word, that's what's coming to me. That's a sum total decision. And I haven't made any, I haven't made sum total decisions in my life. I have made up until recently residually benefiting, um, residual benefiting decisions. Can I say it that way? Decisions that I've had residual benefits. But I'm not doing that. I've, I've hit a place in my growth that my decisions are no longer having a residual, a positive impact on the other areas of my life. That means I can no longer make isolated decisions on X, Y, and Z. I, I cannot make single decisions. I cannot make single-based decisions anymore. I've hit a point in my growth where I can no longer reap the benefits of single-based decisions. I have to make some total decisions. And I'm going to close here because that is going to go into this place of a schema that I believe um, would make, that I, that I want to talk more about in terms of faith and the path of least resistance. Um, but I, I, I started, I think 
a lot of what I'm, I've said is the segue into the path of least resistance conversation because it was really about me taking the X route. Here it is. This is the path of least resistance. And I'm going to close it here for number three on my list. I have made decisions for Z in my mind to get to Z. I sacrificed X. Excuse me. I sacrificed Y. And I haven't named those, those, um, not variables, factors. I think they're factors. I always get those confused, variables and factors. I think those are factors. Anyway, components. <laughs> I haven't named them with you. So just, you're going to have to, like I said, sit with the abstraction of it all. Hopefully you can do that. But I've been very committed to Z. I'll tell you what Z is. Z is the mastermind thing. The thing that I've been masterminding, the thing, um, oh, I listened to a, um, some YouTube this morning and they used a word that I haven't, about INTJs I haven't heard in a while. Oh my gosh. So it's a, it's part of this INTJ stereotype and I have not heard that word in a while. Anyway, it wasn't mastermind. It wasn't, but anyway, so Z is that. So in the past, I've sacrificed Y to get to Z, um, particularly when X and Z were more aligned. Then there was a, then after X and Z were not aligned, I then began to focus on, to try to connect Y and Z together. And I think as I'm closing, what's coming to me is that I have tried to be integrated or, mm -mm, mm -mm, Nope, that's not true. That's not true. Not intentionally try to integrate. But I think some of the benefits of a single-based decision have been very clear. So I've been able to see some of the benefits on the other domains of my life. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that works. Well, that's great. Z is working out here for X. Okay, Z is working out here well for Y. That's great. That's the residual benefit side of that decision, of Z-based decisions. Um, but it no longer works. That model no longer works. What does it say here in this text? If new information continually and strongly suggests that a schema is wrong, the perceiver will change. Often... Um, Sometimes we change the schema because we see that it was wrong. And that's where I'm at. I'm having a change in the schema of how I've made decisions. And I did not plan to say that. But I have in the past taken, I have taken, I have focused on one area of my life and either have assumed that all those others other areas we're going to be taken care of. Either I've assumed it or I'd have had partial recognition like, oh, 
I, maybe I don't fully understand the other domains. And as an INTJ, as an NI Dom, that is very, very possible that we don't really have a strong connection with the physical world, with the sensory world. So that makes complete sense. So I think what I was uh, thinking when I hit the start, when I hit the record button for this, for this reflection, I was thinking about the path of least resistance that the last iteration of that model that I'm now saying was wrong, the last iteration of a single, a single base decision, um, yeah, a single base decision, a single base decision. I think that's what I'm saying. The last iteration of that was for me to focus, for me to, uh, um, approach X as the route to Y and Z. And I'm pausing because I'm trying to, I'm traveling back in time throughout my adult life. That's what I'm doing right now. Is that I'm doing in my head, I'm traveling back. And to be quite honest with you, up until recently, I have never made a single base decision on X. Uh, that's not completely true. I think when I first got out of college, when I first got out of college, I was starting my career. I had... Um, a local government body uh, decided to build a position for me. And in that position that they built for me, I went in there and I did the thing that they built that I was supposed to do in six months, in less than six months. The thing that um, I was set to do, I did it in less than six months. And I got bored. And I'm thinking now there's a, in, in the book, Gifts Differing. Hold on. I had to go get the book, Gifts Differing by Isabel Briggs Myers with Peter B. Myers on page 111. I don't know what edition this is, but uh, the book I have is on page 111. It's talking about introverted intuition as supported by thinking. I'm going to read this paragraph, a part of it. Whatever their field, they are likely to be innovators talking about INTJs. Whatever their field, they are likely to be innovators. In business, they are born reorganizers. Intuition gives them an iconoclastic imagination and an unhampered view of the possibilities. Extroverted thinking supplies a keenly critical organizing faculty. Whatever is could doubtless be improved. They are likely, however, to organize themselves out of a job. They cannot continually re reorganize the same thing. And a finished product has no more interest. Thus, they need successive new assignments with bigger and better problems to stretch their powers. And basically, that's what happened when I got that, that particular job. They, they hired me to do something. Um, <laughs> I did it in less than six months. And I needed something bigger to do. And once I did the thing, they kept me there to maintain it. And I even see that with the assignment, I just am in, in ready to end it. Like, um, 
Um, I went in there and reorganized and, um, and once I reorganized and there was, I wanted to keep reorganizing and, uh, my superiors didn't want me to do that. And so, um, yeah, I don't want to talk about that job because it'll, it'll just send me off. So, I'm, uh-uh. so anyway, <laughs> so anyway, um, I think that I really have never, I've never made an X-based decision. I've always made Y, excuse me, Z-based decisions and um, that have had residual benefits of X and Y at times. However, in the last three years, I've tried to do, um, because I've hit a ceiling this is the perfect way I'm closing right here. I promise because I hit a ceiling in that model of how I was making single base decisions around Z because I hit a ceiling in that. I then said, Oh, I went and focused on X as the path of least resistance. Um, because I think at the end of the day, I really wanted to make a case that we all picked the last of seat least resistance as a strategy, because that's just how we take in it, how we take in information and make decisions. And so, um, I think the schema based conversation isn't, it isn't the text that I was, that ultimately would make the point about uh, the path of least resistance. But if you can just trust me on this, that we do, we, our brains are wired to reject to receive, to move in what's familiar, to to move and linger in what's familiar to get to our destination, to resist the unfamiliar, to resist new information. To get, If we're trying to get to our destination, we don't need all of that extra stuff that's uncomfortable, the, that extra stuff that doesn't make sense. We're going to go right to what we know. To get to where we're trying to get to. We're going to use what we know to get to where we, where we're going. We're going to accept what we know to get to where we're going. And that's kind of how I came back three years ago when I came back to the classroom. I know that it made sense until it didn't. And I'm now at a place now where I need to make some total decisions. A sum total decision is going to be a single decision that will benefit X, Y, and Z simultaneously. It cannot be a residual-based decision. It must be a sum total decision. A sum total decision. That's where I'm at. And I know the thing that is that I need to do to get there. And that's going to be the part two. The part two is what I want to talk about. Um, how to how I think I should get there. <laughs> we don't know how the universe is going to present it, but I'm going to tell you where I, how I think I'm going to get there. But in the past, I have made single base decisions and I am ending this season. I'm getting ready to start talking to you about closing the season four. So I'm going to go quiet for, um, I'm going to go over an hour, you guys. I'm going to go quiet for a month and then I'll start season five. 
but um, I'm not only ending season four, I'm ending an incredible year. And so um, I'm going to, I'm ending with the realization that I need to make moving forward some total based decisions. You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this reflection about decision making and the various components of our lives, um, if this connects to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it out. Even the, the little pockets that I talked about abuse, right? And signs of an abuser or a, of an abusive situation be, before it becomes abusive or the parts that I talked about sibling scheme, schemas about the oldest and the baby, right? Like some of those schemas, um, or just the idea of schemas in general. If any of that, if any of it connects to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and again, share it out with the participants of that conversation and do be willing to tell them how to fast forward in the conversation so they don't have to listen to all of it. If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear that. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, Facebook, nope, no, 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 Twitter, <laughs> yournidom1, and then YouTube and Facebook, yournidom. Let me give you your assignment. Hold on. I always tell you that um, I feel like these assignments are starting to repeat themselves. And then I go back and say, but it's okay because each time we enter into that assignment, that it gives nuance and clarity. So it's like going to school to get a certificate in gender studies, right? And so I'm going to be taking different classes about gender, but it's one topic, but different classes, different assignments that will help me become more knowledgeable about the topic. So if these assignments that I give you overlap and repeat, trust that they're allowing you to become an expert in the thing, getting deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Okay. So for this iteration, I'm going to ask you, um, Yesterday's assignment was kind of cool when I talked about the Venn diagram. I'm going to ask you to do another diagram today. I want you to think about a, some, a part of your life that's fractured or disjointed or disconnected, where the parts don't seem to connect. And then I'm going to ask you to think about how do they connect? I want to ask you to challenge that disconnect. Are the parts in your life really disconnected, even though you initially thought that they were disconnected? So number one, identify three parts of your life that really feel like they are disconnected from each other. And then number two, challenge that sense of disconnect. Are they really disconnected? And then the third question, and this question may not be for everybody, right? Because if you get to number two and you, you interrogate the disconnect and you say, yeah, they really, really are disconnected, then fine. But some of you might interrogate the disconnect and go, oh, they're really not disconnected at all. The number three is for you. Here's the challenge. 
How can you think differently about those three things so that when you make a decision, you're making a sum total decision that will positively and intentionally benefit all three? Don't, and rethink, like, think about what I've done in my past. Think about the mistake I've made in the past. And I don't want to call it a mistake because I think how I made decisions in the past worked for the past. They're just not going to work for me at this point in my life. When I made a decision based on one of those areas and then wrote off the residual benefits. And if you can write off the residual benefits and you're still at a place where you're making single based decisions on those components and they, that residue is working for you. Great. But if you're where I'm at in my life where the residue of that no longer is benefiting, benefactual, benefiting, is a benefit, (laughs) but it's now a liability, then you're going to have to do what I'm doing, that you can no longer make a single-based decision and think about what would be a sum total decision, not a residual-based decision, but a subtle sub, a sub a sum total decision. And I think this there's a something is gnawing at me right now in my brain. It's gnawing at me and I just wanna I just wanna explain this. I wanna make sure we're clear the difference between a residual based decision and a sum total decision. A residual based decision is making a decision on one area of your life and believing it is going to benefit the other areas. A sum total decision is a decision that in, that is based on all areas. That is not about benefiting other areas. It's directly going to impact all areas equally. There it is. It's equal impact. Okay. That's how I'm going to explain it. A sum total decision is an equal, has equilibrium with all of the or is it equilibrium or equality? Equality, not equity. Equilibrium. Now I gotta go look at those words. I'm gonna say equality. That all of those have an equal impact. All of the areas of your life will be equally impacted, simultaneous, simultaneously, and equally impactful. That's some total decision. Residual is like, okay, I wanna focus on there. It's gonna affect X and Y. And I'm saying make a decision that is about X, is about Y, and is about Z equally at the same time. That's what I'm going to try to do. I don't know. I'm going to try to do it. I don't feel like I have a choice anymore because the path of least resistance is no longer working for me. And when I go silent in the month of July, because I'm going to try to kick out as many, because I got a lot of reflections I got to kick out for June now. And I hope you guys will stay the course and listen to them well out, well into my silence in the month of July, okay? That's what I'm going to be contending with. I am going to make an, a sum total decision. And I am going to use all of my INTJ-ness to, to, to navigate that. It's going to, it feels scary to say it. But what's the sense of having a gift? If you can't use it. And I'm going to challenge myself to use my INTJ as a gift for me in a sum total lifestyle. 
and stop living a fractured one because it is not working. It ain't working, y'all. It just ain't working. It's just not working. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.